Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. So we're going to be reading again from, as we did last week, from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. And in verse 15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result... He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you uh, for today, and thank you for this place, and I thank you for these people, and um, I pray like I always do, that you would wake us up to your presence here. Um, And so I pray in these next few minutes that um, you would maybe unpack some things in our hearts, and our lives and our minds, and um, would you renew and redeem places in us that, uh, I don't know, are maybe part of an old way of thinking. And so I just pray that uh, you would do work in us. I'm thankful for baptisms today, for a reminder that uh, new life is always possible with you, new things are always possible with you, that you are uh, always in the business of redemption and reconciliation and hope. And so I just pray that this morning uh, would be marked by hope. We love you. Amen. Uh, I've I've been excited uh, for today. We we have a lot of ground to cover. So if you are new with us, like everyone has said, welcome. If you're here visiting uh, for baptisms, welcome also. We're glad you're here. Um, I have been excited for the sermon because I preach it every year. Uh, Do people like it? I don't know. I don't know if I care, because uh, I like it, so I do it every year. Um, but uh, last week, I kind of want to catch you up. It, it, we're going to build on a little bit of what we did last week. And um, so for a, a, a lot of you who weren't with us last week, I just want to kind of bring you up to speed 
on where we are, were. Last week we talked about something that I think is one of the most important things to talk about as a person of Jesus or as a person curious about Jesus or even as a person confused by Jesus. Um, so a quick recap. Uh, what we did is uh, we took a few big steps back. Uh, we say that this is always what we're trying to do here at the Vineyard. Uh, we took a few big steps back to look at a wide view of the scriptures. The big word, big church word for that is the meta-narrative of the scriptures, the big story that the Bible tells. And uh, what we talked about is the story of the scriptures takes place in four uh, parts or four chapters. It's creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Taylor, I think we have a slide for it, so then you can't forget it the whole time. Uh, Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And we talked about how this uh, story is about God's kingdom, but how it's also a public truth. It's not just about the kingdom of God, but it's the story of God for the world. It's it's a public truth for everything. It's the Christian view of the world as uh, it was, as it is, as it could be, and as it will be. Uh, So to begin with creation, creation is the way things were in the world. Uh, God made everything. This is is what we believe. God made everything and called it good. And then he asked the created uh, humanity to join him in creation, to tend and to make and to cultivate the things of flourishing in the world. And then next, uh, part two is the fall. It's our explanation for why things are the way they are, why bad things happen in this world, that uh, God made everything and and he called it good, but then very uh, quickly in the story, sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And what happens in this moment is that uh, it shatters the shalom, or uh, a a description for shalom is universal flourishing and delight. Uh, The universal flourishing and delight of creation uh, was shattered. Uh, There's a pastor I love, Pete Hughes, who's going to get a whole lot of love today. Um, he calls this moment a decreation. If, if the beginning was creation, the fall is a decreation. The scientific word for it is entropy. And it is felt at every level, cosmic and communal and uh, personal. Our ability to relate rightly with God and our ability to re- relate rightly to each other and our ability to re- relate rightly to creation falls into disorder in this moment. And then comes chapter 3, the the best news in the world, the the story of redemption. This is our uh, uh, Christian worldview for how things could be, what's possible for things. God, he made a way where there was no way and offered salvation to everyone through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And and so for every level of disorder that uh, the fall or the entropy was felt, redemption is offered through the cross at every level. Redemption uh, personally, redemption communally, redemption cosmically. And then chapter 4, renewal, uh, which is our explanation of the way things will be. What will absolutely happen, that the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew all things is happening and will happen and uh, will not stop until it's done. This, this idea that God will put things back together and uh, to make sadness and death and disorder all become untrue things. Uh, theologians, they call this a four-part gospel or a four-chapter gospel, creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And last week we talked about how for 1,800 years this was the story that the church told. Uh, this, this was our meta narrative. This was our story. But about 200 years ago, uh, the story started uh, to kind of narrow a bit in a few places. And what was once a four-chapter gospel uh, became more like a ch- two-chapter story. And the result was that the evangelical church, uh, like the fundamentalists before us and the revivalists before them, uh, uh, we didn't, we didn't uh, de- deny that creation and renewal happened. We just kind of let them take a back seat. 
And so the story we've told for about 200 years is a story of fall, the fall and a story of redemption, allowing the other two, again, to take a back seat, which means that the church universally has done a really good job at offering explanations for things like sin and salvation, uh, but we've offered a far less compelling story for things like work and beauty and art and ethics and creativity and the flourishing of people or the flourishing of the earth. I, I said this last week and I, I stand by it this week. I was like, do I still stand by it? I stand by it this week that telling half the story has caused us to paint a pretty unbiblical picture of where God is taking the world. Uh, the, it, it, I want to give, uh, I mentioned Pete Hughes at the beginning. He wrote a book, and I think every year I have a book that I'm like, everyone should read this book. Um, my book this year is called All Things New by Pete Hughes. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, and he says that the danger of telling this shorter, smaller story is that it leads to a smaller understanding of the mission. It leads to a smaller understanding of why we were created and what God has for us, a smaller view of the role we play in the kingdom of God. And so when creation and renewal, they ride in the back seat, we kind of get the impression that not much about this world matters. It's caused a um, mainstream Christianity to adopt what uh, theologian N.T. Wright calls pie-in-the-sky escapism. Uh, essentially, we've taken on the view where we get to escape the world and the whole thing blows up in the end. So, like, what's the point in caring about it now? Like, we care about it in some ways, but, but I think we, we've taken on an escapist mentality. But that isn't the story that the Bible tells at all, really. Not at all. I wish I had time today to unpack rapture theology. I don't, uh, unless you, or if you're comfortable, I could. I won't. I preached on it recently. If you, if you need some resources, we'll talk about it. But, um, uh, but, 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 but we've, we've gotten this idea that we get sucked out, the world blows up, and that's how things end. And, and that isn't the story that the Bible tells. And when we allow two parts of it to ride in the back seat, it's kind of easy to take on views like that. Uh, the Bible tells a story not just of the salvation of people, but of transformation. Not just of uh, a, a transformation of people, though, but a transformation of society and transformation of culture and transformation of the entire world. Uh, not just of people, but all of those things. We are not uh, created or redeemed in order to escape the earth, but instead the redeemed of Jesus are meant to cultivate it, to care for it, to join God in the renewal of it. Uh, again, as N.T. Wright says, I said this last week, he says, heaven is incredibly important, but it is not the end of the story. Uh, so that was all of last week. Some of y'all are like, it took you a lot longer last week to say those things. And you, you were right. It did. Um, but that was last week. So, uh, uh, so last week we talked about this, what it means to see the Bible as a four-chapter story. But this week I want to talk about, okay, if we see it as a four-chapter story, how does it impact us on a human level? Uh, because a four-chapter story, a four-chapter gospel, it invites us to discover our place in the story of God, I think, in a really uh, unique and different way. Uh, again, to quote Pete Hughes, I think this is the last one, but no promises. Um, he says this, he says, uh, this is the challenge set before us, to immerse ourselves within this story, to hope for a future within this story. And as we do, stories of restoration will undoubtedly follow. Uh, the challenge for Jesus followers is that, to immerse ourselves in this story, this four-chapter story of God and the world, and not just to find redemption there, but praise God for redemption, uh, but also to find imagination there, 
and hope there and action there as we learn what it means to not just believe the story of restoration, but to live it out, to keep going in it. Uh, if we've hung out recently, then I have probably talked to you about my obsession with my gut microbiome. Uh, I'm sorry, but also it's fascinating. Anyone else into the gut microbiome other than me and Kristen Kessler? Oh, Nick, thank you. I just thought the hands would go flying in the air for this, but um, I, I am obsessed. Your gut microbiome is essentially the living things in your intestines, so you're welcome. You can Google that all day. Uh, it's a good rabbit hole. Text me, I'll give you some resources. But um, when you learn about the uh, health of your gut microbiome, what you learn is that to increase the health and vitality and the flourishing of your intestines, then experts say the key to it is diversity. To have lots of good bacteria coming from lots of different places in your intestines. Uh, Tim Keller says that Jesus followers are similar to this. <laughs> Um, he says, Jesus followers, that we're part of what he calls an ecosystem of the kingdom. Uh, I call a microbiome of the kingdom of God, which means that we are part of a gospel ecosystem in our community. We are part of the good stuff that exists in the community that are infiltrating it to bring to flourishing. Uh, that that the, if the point is to have lots of good bacteria in your, incest, in your intestines, uh, the, the point of a gospel ecosystem would mean uh, that lots, there would be lots of diversity in bringing the good stuff of heaven into the community. And we all play a role in that, which means that how we show up in the world matters. It, it matters. How we show up in the places that we live and work and learn and play, those things matter. Uh, another pastor I love, John Mark Comer, he says, you were made to do good, to mirror and mimic what God is like to the world, to stand at the interface between creator and creation, implementing God's generous blessing over all the earth. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. Uh, the story that we tell matters because how we show up in the world to live, lurk, Work, learn, and play matters because we are tasked to make the invisible visible. We, as people of Jesus, are the way that entropy and disorder find order in the world. God has chosen us. Us. Not to escape the world, but for the work of putting it back together. Uh, there's a story I love so much, I tell it every time I can. Um, but the man who founded the vineyard, so the vineyard is a, is a denomination. It's a, a wide, we call ourselves an association, but similar to a denomination, but thousands of churches all over the world. And uh, the man who founded the vineyard is a guy named John Wimber. And uh, he was a musician. He was a member of the Righteous Brothers, if anyone big Righteous Brothers fans. Um, no one, great. Uh, so <laughs> Another thing to Google today. Um, uh, but uh, at some point in time, he was doing what essentially was like a residency uh, in the late 70s, early 80s in Vegas. And his life was literally sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And he had this um, incredible like uh, experience with Jesus and this transforming experience. And uh, he like left his Vegas life and he went back to his family that he had abandoned. And, um, and he started learning everything he could about Jesus. He said he was just like plowing through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over again, just learning everything that he could. And eventually he goes to his pastor at the time.
time. And he says, um, he was like, hey, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you know, the stuff. Like, I'm reading all the stuff that Jesus did. When do we get to do the stuff? Like, heal the sick and cast out the devils and, you know, like, do the stuff. And he said his pastor was like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't actually do it. And he was like, what? What? And he says he was livid. And he said, I'm going to read a direct quote from me. He said, I learned very quickly that we read about it, we prayed about it, we sang about it, we cried about it, but we never actually did it. And here's my favorite line of it. He said, I wanted to do all of the stuff that Jesus did. And when I worked for the devil, he let me do all his stuff. (laughs) That's why I love this story. And so it's out of this that the vineyard, our denomination, took on this phrase, doing the stuff, to describe the invitation of Jesus uh, here and now to be part of what he has always uh, been up to, creating and redeeming disorder and bringing renewal everywhere, wherever we are, here and now. Not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Wednesdays and Friday nights and Saturday mornings, uh, always. Uh, John Montgomery says that we have been tasked as modern-day Adams and Eves with a dual calling. That we exist to live out the, the creation story, working the ground and bringing order to where we, we are. And also to go and tell it everywhere. Uh, theologians call these the cultural and the kingdom mandates. We talk about them all the time here. Uh, These invitations of God to uh, invite or bring everyone and everything that we can out of entropy and into renewal. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds really good. But my hunch is uh, that this room is filled with people who think that's great, but also in the same moment you probably are finding yourself the exception to the rule, if you're like me. Uh, A two-chapter gospel is so comfortable for us because it is good news for us. But a four-chapter gospel is daring because it moves beyond just uh, a personal conversion to good news and uh, for the whole world. Transformation for the whole world. And it gives us a pretty big role to play in it. And so when we get to that part, I think all of us do this. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but I know I do. I think we like instinctually start to make excuses. I really think we all do this. You're not alone if you're feeling this. We, we start to think like, oh, that is a great thing, but I am pretty busy. Or that is a great thing, but I kind of like my religion to be more quiet. Or maybe I could learn a lot more stuff and then I could go and do this. I don't know what your excuses are. Those are mine. Um, But we have these things, Uh, and maybe I think the reason that we find messages like this really inspiring but rarely act on them is something bigger than we're busy or bigger than we're nervous or bigger than not knowing or understanding enough. I think for so many of us, uh, the reason messages like this struggle to move from our ears into our hands and our feet and our bodies and our lives and our hearts and our minds is because... I think maybe we don't really believe the scripture that Chad read today, our scripture for today. Like maybe we believe in this idea of creation and fall and redemption and renewal in the world, but we cannot imagine that uh, that big story is our story. In our scripture today, Paul tells uh, the church, the Colossian church, he says, uh, he declares that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God who existed before anything was created and reigns supreme over all of it. That all creation was uh, created by him and for him. And he calls Christ the beginning, the first in everything. He is the beginning, middle, and the end of the story. Paul says that the fullness of God lives in Jesus. 
And that through Jesus, God reconciled the whole disordered world back to himself. And that in Jesus, peace was made with everything on heaven and everything in earth. And then he says the most uncomfortable line of the whole thing, this includes you. This includes you. Verse 21, this includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Your story has been one of disordered. I know a lot of yours mind has been one of disorder. It's a story of entropy, but it's not a story that started that way. We have a story that started with creation. God created you with purpose and with dignity, with an identity of belonging to him. That is your first identity, not you as a sinner, that comes. But your first identity, you belonging to Christ and through the fall, it cost us cosmically and communally and personally a disorder and an entropy that the cross was full enough to redeem. The cross left us, as Paul said, holy and blameless in the presence of Jesus without a single fault. And so we go into the world with a story of restoration. We go into the world as people who have degree by degree been reordered in order to be part of the renewal of everything. And so our purpose becomes uh, wild and simple all at the same time. I think it's four things. Um, I told you I was done with Pete Hughes quotes, but I stole this from him too. So read the book. Four things. Number one, what is our purpose? Number one, to live in the great story. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. To live in the story. Number two, to live out the story. Number three, to enjoy relationship with the creator of the world, the author of the story. And number four, to join him as he puts the whole thing back together. What does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Our mission is this, to live in the story, to live out the story, to enjoy the creator as we join him in the renewal everywhere as part of the gospel ecosystem wherever we are. And we do this with hope and faith that uh, we stand holy and blameless even when we don't believe that we do. That we have been and are being reordered and renewed constantly by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Uh, I want to pause here. Uh, Brad's going to come up and play. We uh, have this moment every week at the vineyard. We call it Selah, and it's just a quiet pause um, to not move on too fast uh, from where we are. And so I just want to leave you with this. Uh, but I had two thoughts. I told you the four reasons I think we were made. But I like to end with some sort of like practical step. In our core groups, we do something called Discovery Bible Study. And it ends with an I will statement. So I'm always like, how do we leave? Like, what's the I will statement? Like, what, what, how do we leave and take action on this? And two things uh, that I thought. One is this. If you're like, how do I practically apply this? Uh, wherever you see disorder, ask God for the imagination, for order, and the courage to help bring it. Meaning, in your life, when you see that things, wherever you live, work, learn, and play, when you see that things are broken, and I mean this literally, the copy machine at your work, uh, your friend's marriage, your street is full of trash, someone you know has knee pain, wherever you see brokenness, ask God to put it back together. Or ask God to give you the courage to help put it back together, or the person to help put it back together. There's one step. 
And then the second thing is, uh, and this may sound so simple, but it is not. No matter how long you have been a Jesus follower, um, I would say get to know Jesus. Uh, I had this moment last week where Chad was talking in a small group I'm in, and uh, he said, he, we were talking about who God is, and we were wondering and asking these questions, and Chad at one point, he was like, look at Jesus. Want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. And it was like, oh, yeah, we should do that. If you don't know where to start, start in the book of Mark. That's, that's where I'm going to start tomorrow. The book of Mark, and just pick a chapter or a story or whatever it is, and just spend time enjoying the relationship with the author of the story. These two steps, they aren't in, or, in a particular order. You can do them both. The way we say it around here is that we're walking with Jesus and loving our neighbor, and you can do them both at the same time. You can walk with Jesus and love your neighbor. You don't have to learn everything and then go. 